0: but it's really a pleasure to be here one of the things um i like to remind i like to remind this this house of some things that the lord said years ago i've been with tammy and bill and Sal and juliana and the whole gang they know me since i'm born my parents are over here my wife's somewhere too anyway i have family in the room and you guys are all my family if you call this place your home um we are family i'm also a leader at resting place in New Jersey. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you my whole story because they gave me 35 minutes and (laughs) that's going to be a struggle. Uh, But before we talk, before we take communion, I want to go through a few things. Uh, I had a dream, which I'll share with you guys in a little bit, about this season that we're in and where we're going In regards to communion, but just knowing the scripture, there's things that need to take place in your heart and in your mind before you even come to the table of the Lord. Um, And we're going to talk through that today. So I want to just uh, say a few things first. I've been really reevaluating just the foundations of my life. Uh, Even as a Christian, as a pastor, as a leader, as a church, if you... Are paying any attention, we're being challenged in every way as a nation and as a world. And whenever you go through hard seasons, the thing that it exposes is your foundation. You know, if, you're, if you build a house, the house is fine when the sun is out, but the moment a storm comes, it challenges the things of the structure of that which you're living in. And whenever you go through hard seasons, it is an amazing time for you to see weaknesses, Things that need to be strengthened, and I call it amazing because whenever you see a weakness, it's actually a moment to celebrate because you get to fix that thing. You get to address it. So many times we think of a weakness or a sin or whatever that we're going through that's tough. You know, we enter into shame, which is from the enemy, not from the Lord. But when those things get exposed, it's because they're in the light, which is a good thing. You know, we don't want to live hiding. We want to live in the light. And so just a few things I just We're going to talk about communion, the elements, the Lord's table, but a few things I feel like the Lord is reminding us of as his children, and we're not going to talk about it, but I want you to hear this and just take some time this week, this month, and evaluate these things. One thing is worship. We need to reevaluate and see the heart posture we have again in worship, whether it's in a service or in the secret place at home. The Word of God. This is huge. You know, when we go through hard times, all of a sudden now we're looking for a scripture when in reality we should have knew where it was before the hard time got there, right? And so if we're not in this on a daily basis, then we can know that there is some weaknesses in our heart. You know, It's because it's our daily bread, right? There's something new. And some people tell me like, well, Rich, I don't read every day because I don't remember what I read. And I love what Bill Johnson says, well, I don't remember what I had for dinner three weeks ago, but it still nourished my body and gave me life. And so just because you can't remember everything you read in this book doesn't mean that it doesn't hold value or actually change who you are and nourish your body, give you life and health, right? Things like prayer, things like honor. Lifestyle of Christianity, not just the practice of it, it's what we do every day. Things like deliverance, right? The gifts of the Spirit, evangelism, the go of the gospel. You know, the prophetic in the last days, all shall prophesy. Yep. The gift of tongues, healing the sick. I mean, this is all in the Great Commission, right? We need to continue to evaluate our identity. Are we walking as royal sons and daughters? Are we walking around as if we're part of the king and his kingdom? Or are we walking around as orphans? Baptisms, and I say baptisms because it's actually plural. There's a baptism of water, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's a baptism of fire, there's a baptism of power, there's a baptism that brings boldness. And we see all throughout the early church in the book of Acts that there was multiple baptisms of the Holy Spirit with the same people. It's not just one baptism, it's multiple, right? Supernatural protection from harmful and poisonous things, again, in the Great Commission. Boy, do we wish we had revelation on that right now, right? We wouldn't walk in fear. Right? The world has a pandemic, but the kingdom doesn't. Right? You have to remind yourself of some of these things. Because when you come, uh, some of us, we can, you know, your feelers, and there's a whole thing on that. But, you know, when you walk into specific areas or places or something like today. I came from New Jersey, where there's a bunch of other things on people's mind. Then you come into Manhattan and you can feel the level of anxiety as you walk onto the streets. That's a world's problem, but that's not the kingdom's problem. There is no anxiety in the kingdom. There is no stress in heaven right now. They're not afraid of being taken out by a virus right? And this is not to be casual about something that we all have different opinions on, because that's the reality. If we were to take a poll of everyone in the room, we would all have a different opinion on it. And no one's is wrong, and no one's is right, which is hard for Christians. We think we're right about everything. (laughs) It's true. And another thing would be discipling nations, right? Take dominion of the earth. It was the original commandment in Genesis, and then he Reinst- uh, he reinstates it at the Great Commission to, to go and disciple nations. These are just a few things. We, I can really go down a list, but few things that are supposed to be foundational to Christianity. Even in Ephesians, it talks about, you know, I don't want to keep having to go over the same childish things. And then he lists things that most of us would— Really a tribute to super Christians, but reality these are for baby Christians This is supposed to be normal. This is supposed to be every day and so Let me take a sip here One thing the Lord has been really highlighting to me again is communion the Lord's table, which is basic Christianity we see the Lord modeling it out even with the disciples and I want us to kind of take this journey of examining where our heart is, and there's reasons for that. But I want to, if you can, turn with me to Romans 5. I'm reading at the, uh, out of the Passion's translation. Any paper Bibles here? It's okay. <laughs> A few? Yes. Sorry, when you take turn with me, you don't hear pages turning anymore, it's like, <laughs> and the phone, not even a click. Anyway, uh, I do want to read quite a bit of this. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. All right, good. I was going to do it anyway, <laughs> but it's fine. So I love this because it's kind of setting the stage for just this comparison of, before the cross and after the cross, right? When Adam, um, I'm in Romans 5, verse 12. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says, when Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered the human experience, and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed. Yet death reigned, as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. The first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. Now there's no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience, for the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. That is incredible. The magnitude of sin, basically if you take all of humanity's sin and you add it together, it doesn't even come close to comparison to the price that was paid. And not just the price that was paid, but the grace that is released. Meaning this, we get so caught up with the power of sin in our own personal life, but the reality is if you take all of man's sin from the beginning to the end, it wouldn't even compare to the power of his grace to set you free and keep you free. And that's like, you know, we're talking about Tens of billions of s- people sinning tens of billions of times versus one man's grace. M- meaning sin has no power over you unless you give it power on a daily basis. Now, there's no comparison, right? It's true that the, that many died because of one man's tr- transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what? One man, Jesus the Messiah, did for us. And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with the verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words, not guilty. Death once held its us in its grip and by the blunder of one man death reigned as king over humanity but now how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only jesus the messiah stick with me a little longer in other words just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression So through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. One man's disobedience opened the door for all of humanity to become sinners. So also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. So then the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness, out of hiding. This is incredible because before the law, sin existed. There was just no penalty to sin because there was nothing to bring it into the light. But the law came to be so that sin could come out of hiding and into the light. The law, it it became a, a stranglehold on the people because they could never keep the law. But it was an invitation and a foreshadowing of a grace that would come in a new covenant with a king who would live perfectly. And through one man's obedience, living life rightly, Jesus would come, take upon it, actually says it, it he trades his righteousness yeah. for all of our sins and takes it as his own and brings it to the cross. Now, we all believe that and say, Amen. Yes, he did it. But the other side of the, tra- the trade is we got righteousness. And what we do, and we're going to talk about this again, we continue to put back on the sin that he took off of us voluntarily. And I want us to explore this. You guys good? All right. If you're at home, say you're good. Awesome. So then the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. And yet, wherever sin increased, there was more than enough of God's grace to triumph all the more. Where where sin abounded, still grace abounded all the more. And just as sin reigned through death, so also this sin-conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus our Lord and Messiah. And then, I'm not going to read it, but in Romans 6, he, he begins to do this phrase, this question, and then he dives into it. And then he asks the same question, and he dives into it. He says, so what do we do then? And he asks, do we then persist? Do we sin So that grace will abound? Certainly not. And then later on, he'll say again in verse 15 of chapter 6, what do we do then? Should we sin to our heart's content since there's no law to to condemn us anymore? So basically he's saying, should we sin more so we get more grace? Or because we're covered in grace, should we just sin because there is grace? No, certainly not. Because grace is not a, a covering for you to continue in sin. Grace is the freedom to walk free from sin. Okay, so why am I saying all this? This is, I know it's theology. I know it's like, yes, get Rich, I get it. We have sin. There's grace. We're set free. There's grace is always available. But but the reason I'm saying this is you can go a, a whole day without sinning. Amen. You can go a whole week without sinning. There's actually grace to go a whole year without sinning, right? Because his grace is not dependent upon your ability. It's dependent upon his ability. In Ephesians, it talks about the way the Father sees us, which is important because I don't want to think a thought or or see myself any way that God isn't seeing me or think a thought about me that God's not thinking about me. So I have to change the way that I think about myself and my sin and my struggles to align with the way that God is thinking about it. So in Ephesians, over and over again, it says that he sees us in Christ, wrapped. So when the Father sees us, it's as if Jesus is all around us so he's got his Jesus glasses on he's looking through the Jesus lens and when he looks at you he's looking through that lens which means what you're covered in blood you're righteous and over and over again it says that he sees us in Christ and he opens up Ephesians and he says he says I write to the devoted ones to the saints saints means the holy ones I write to the ones who have been made holy. So if you're struggling with something today, which this is appropriate to talk about, right? Because we're about to take communion and we need to take communion with the right heart. But if you're struggling today with cyclical sin, if you're struggling today with thoughts, with anxieties, with fears, with, with different things that cause you to stumble on a daily basis, Ephesians tells us, we cannot do anything to make ourselves holy. Meaning, there's no, the, the practice of self discipline, which is from the Lord, is not the thing that makes us holy. The thing that makes us holy is Him. He's the one that does the work. And then we walk in obedience to resist temptation so that we don't put back on the old man. It says in Scripture that. Our old man, which I've thought about this the other day, we always talk about the old man, and I just never know who's watching. There's not, like, an actual old man somewhere in church. It's <laughs> our old self. And we, we like, well, Rich, I get it, but actually unsafe people would listen to this and be like, why do they keep talking about the old man? Who's this old man? <laughs> but it's, we, it says, when we, when the Lord died, we died with him. Amen. We know this. You died with him the scripture says you died with him you were buried with him and you were raised up with him and now we're seated at the right hand of the father with him okay that means your old man is dead but all over and over again I watched people try to revisit the grave of their old man and his old ways to raise him back up and live an old lifestyle but when you do that you're doing that outside of him And what Ephesians is saying, if you want to be free of those things, then stay in him. You're dealing with addiction, then stay close to him on a daily basis. What does that look like? It looks like what we said before. Worship, being in the word, prayer, living in honor, a lifestyle of Christianity, working through deliverance, talking about the gospel, the gifts of the spirit, reminding yourself of your... revisiting the foundations. You have complete power over sin. And so when you enter into it, you need to ask yourself why. Maybe it's not saying no to something, but there's more power in saying yes. Maybe if you didn't try so hard not to do something that you end up doing again anyway, but you started to say yes to him and spending time with him then you wouldn't even need to say no to something because the desire for that would leave and we're, you know we're talking about more than you know maybe it's pornography maybe it's lust maybe it's you know lying maybe it's fear and anxiety maybe whatever it is that's your thing that you struggle with Over and over again, it's different for all of us. We need to bring it back to the feet of the Lord. You know, He's seated at the right hand of the Father. What, What is He sitting on? The mercy seat. Every time we come to Him, we come to the mercy seat, where we get pardoned. We get mercy. You know, mercy means you don't get what you deserve, and then on, on top of that, you get grace. Grace means you get what you didn't deserve. Mercy is when you get pulled over the, and you were speeding and you didn't get a ticket. You got mercy. Grace is when you get pulled over and you were speeding, and instead of giving you a ticket, he gives you $10,000. That's grace. That's grace. You showed up completely undeserving, and he gave you something you didn't even ask for to benefit you. It's his supernatural enablement upon your life so that you can do what you need to do in the moment you need to do it. We're buried with him. We're raised with him. So that means we die, he died once and for all. You died once and for all. You don't have to go through that door again. It's a one-way door like we have to the bathrooms. One way. <laughs> it's a one-way door. I'm serious, but because we don't understand these things and we don't actually get in our word and we only read the verses that we like to read over and over again and and get into other things that we don't understand, which again, if you're reading something you don't understand, it still has benefit to you do you get that yeah. like w- we avoid certain parts of this book because. We say we won't remember it, we won't understand it, we don't get it, but it still benefits you to read it because it's, it's living. Yeah, yeah. It's living. When we talk about the elements today, these are living elements. You know, and I love, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about it in a minute. <laughs> so listen, in a time when we are being isolated, it's very easy to feel alone. And this is hard for some of us because a lot of us have t- tried to stay busy so we wouldn't be left with ourselves. <laughs> and we've tried to stay, keep busy doing good things, volunteering at church, volunteering at the soup kitchen, going to work, hanging out with friends, visiting family, and we spend no time alone. And some of it is because you know we like to do things, we're extroverts and we don't wanna be alone, but the reality is, a lot of times if we would sit down and see what we're avoiding that we don't even realize we're avoiding is being alone with ourselves and seeing the nature of our own soul. That's my kids too, which I love. I don't mind, I don't mind hearing kids scream in church. You know, when you hear kids, like, I—I I, can I take a tangent really quick? 30 seconds. Here we go. You know, when you go in church and, like, there's kids screaming and then you have, like, these adults, like, they're like, engaged, and then you see them looking at the corner, they're like, why is this kid screaming, like interrupting my worship? And the Lord spoke to me once during a moment when I was, my kid was there, I was watching different, you know, whatever. And he's like, the only reason they're upset is because the kid's doing what they are supposed to do. It's the only reason adults get upset because they call it disorder, right? And then they don't realize they're actually partnering with that verse, let the children come to me, you know? come like a childlike heart. A child comes loud and messy and completely themselves. And we come buttoned up and in order. And at home, we are doing the very thing in our closet that they're doing in the public place. Screaming, crying, laughing, actually showing joy in church, lifting our voice loud because they're not ashamed. We can learn a lot from kids, but we do Anyway, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. (laughs) No, we do, so we put them in a back room because we think that's where they need to be because we want this service to be. They're fine back there. Leave them back there. (laughs) Leave them back there. But we we do, we put them in a back room on a regular basis, which, and it's fine because we do amazing things in the back room with the kids, but part of the reason we do it is because we want to make a better service for ourselves, and that's the part that needs to be addressed. Not because we want to make a better service for them back there, we put them back there to not disrupt our service, and that is a problem. That is a problem, and you have to check your heart, because if revival isn't for everyone, including the family, then it's not revival. Okay? If a service is not conducive for every type of person, then it's not a kingdom service. It's a Gowanus club for only those who like to do the same thing. It's, it's the truth. Okay? We have to break out of these things that the world has put on us, which is structures and systems that separate. Okay? We have to come back to the foundational things. Come to me as you are. That's not just for the sinner. That's for the Christian. Every day, come to me as you are. Because we get taught out of that as we go to church. And then when we end up struggling in life and hard seasons come, we don't come in here because we're not, as, we're not living up to the lifestyle that is appropriate for being in this room. We have to adjust. We have to adjust. Grace. There is grace not to step back into old ways and old thinking. And I love this, and I'll say it again. Romans 5, verse 20 says that he brought the law to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. He wanted it out in the open, not to shame us, but to set us free. He, you know, and we say, like, the law was replaced by the new, the new covenant with, with Jesus. But in many ways, he actually made it harsher, you know. You know, old covenant, do not murder. New covenant, if you do not love your brother, you've murdered him. Old covenant, if you have sex out of marriage, that's adultery. New covenant, if you just look at someone with adulterous eyes, that is as if you committed adultery. There's a higher standard because there's grace that enables you to live higher. Grace was never this thing— to, to help you fight to be free. Grace is the thing that enables you to walk free. It's an invitation, not a law. And the new covenant, it's an invitation, it's not a law, because he doesn't want slaves. He wants sons and daughters. He gives you free will and free choice to do what you want to do so that when you choose him, it brings him to light. We have to pray, Lord, shine your light in the dark places. You know, we're in lockdown, right? We're, you know, I mean, actually, some states are in lockdown. Some countries are in lockdown. We are uh, doing the things out of honor to our governors and our mayors that that are asking us to do. Whether we agree with them or we don't, that really doesn't matter. As a church, we honor people in authority, not because we agree with them, but because they're in authority over us, right? They're not asking us to worship another god if they did that. We would not do that. They're asking us to wear a mask, and they're asking us to stay six feet away. Um, And so we honor it. We do it while we have to, right? And there's different opinions on different things, but the idea is this. One day, we're gonna open back up. One day, we're not gonna have to social distance. We're not gonna have to wear masks. We're not gonna have to do streaming. We will come back to quote, unquote, normal. But if we think we could come back to normal church and do the same thing we did yesterday, then we have a big problem. And if the goal is just to get back into church and do the same thing that we were doing, then we've not reevaluated the foundations. You have to understand what's happening in the natural is only a signpost of what's happening in the supernatural. Okay? There's a war going on in the heavens. So a war going on in the heavens, and we need to tap into what's happening in the kingdom of heaven and let it be manifest on the earth, okay? We can't walk afraid anymore. You know, we don't walk foolishly, but we don't walk afraid, right? We're not afraid of a virus. We're not afraid of unemployment. We're not afraid of a racial issue. We're not afraid of a sin issue. We're not afraid of persecution, though what we're experiencing in America is not persecution. No one's killing you. No one's putting you in jail. They're just not letting you do certain things. It's not persecution. I've been in the 1040 window. This is not persecution. And I know the American church wants to call it that because we want to be in with the persecution so we can put it like a chip on our shoulder. But we're not being persecuted. Not yet. Not yet. Okay? So this – and this is not even because – just I have – I went to a nation where literally we can't post things on social media that we're meeting because I don't want the pastor to get arrested or beaten. Okay, or his house to be raided. You don't understand? Like this is, this is different. And I know there is real persecution that happens in the United States, but it's not nearly what we're calling it. But we're not afraid of it if it does come. Okay? We're not afraid of it. And so w- communion. I want to share a dream that I had. And this is all going to tie in together, and then we're going to take communion together. But the reason I want to talk about all of that is these things that I, I just kind of like. You know, if you have dirt in a vase, That's filled with water and and it just sits over the dirt like will drop to the bottom of the vase. But when you pour new water in, that dirt will kind of like pop up and stir up and then you'll see all this dirt rise. And then if you do nothing with it, it'll settle back down. That's what sin does in the life of a believer when it goes unattended to and goes without the pouring in every day. Okay, and so what I wanted to do just now is pour in a little bit so that your dirt got stirred up. So you can see there's a little thing. We all have things like, oh, I probably need to deal with that, myself included, because you would need to deal with that stuff before you come to the table of the Lord. And we're going to talk about that. But I had a dream. And in the dream, I was leading many thousands of people into a stadium. And as I was bringing them into the stadium, I was bringing them into side rooms. And there were at least three side rooms that I could see in the dream, but I knew all around the stadium there were side rooms with people packed from front to back left to right. They were not social distancing. And we were greeting them and giving them directions. And at the end of the meeting in these side rooms, I would then lead them into communion. And I would say, we're going to take this bread. We're going to take this cup for this and for this and for this. And in the dream, um, the actual cup was not like this. It was like a white glass cup and it was skinny and it was ribbed. So it had these even sections, that it was like a tall glass. And when we took communion, uh, for the different reasons, then we would send them into the stadium, and then we would go to the next room and do it again. And the next room, and everyone that came into the stadium had to go and do this first in the side room. And I wo- when I woke up, the Lord spoke to me, and he said two things, three things. He said to me, he's like, Rich, if you or we, if we would commune with him in the side room, the secret place, then he would send an apostolic release. He would send us into the public place of ministry. He said to have power in the public place to be ready for stadium revival, we need to commune in the secret place. When the Christian can pray in his closet, when the church can come together to pray, then we will see another great missions movement thrusting forth laborers into the harvest field. And he also said this, in the literal elements of the communion that the, that he was giving us insight to lead multitudes into these elements and pray for the power of these living elements to activate us in the secret place of our heart. And I believe the different sections or the ribs in the cup represented different reasons or different seasons that we would, or things that we would take communion for. And, what I began to realize was I had been approaching this all wrong. Um, I had been taking this just as out of routine and, and I knew it was more than routine. I knew that this bread and this cup meant something, but I didn't actually approach this table on purpose every time. I wasn't coming to the to the Lord's table with a right heart. And I was approaching casually. And one of the things that I actually We could learn from the, they're fine, they can scream, um, unless someone's getting hurt. Uh, (laughs) One of the things that I've appreciated in the Catholic church is they they actually treat this as more than a wafer and a a cup. No, this is the body and the blood of Jesus, which kind of makes more sense when you read the scripture. And he says, you know, if you want to be in the kingdom, you want any part of me, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh, which is what we do when we partake of this when we realize that in this moment, just like salvation, when you get saved, it's not just a prayer that you pray. And if you prayed just a prayer, then I would hope and maybe evaluate, am I really saved? Um, And you would know that. You would know. But if you prayed just a prayer and, and Jesus wasn't there, then it was just a sentence. It wasn't an experience. And Just as salvation is a supernatural experience, meaning in the moment that you get saved and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and he comes and he kills your old man, and he gives you new life, and you have just become, and you do the waters of baptism. You go down, and you come out of the waters. You're still wearing the same clothes and the same hair, and you're just a little wet, but in the spirit, you just came out a new person. The supernatural realm is more real than the chair you're sitting in. The heavens are real. You can't see them. They're in another realm, right? It's more real than the chair that we're in, the ground that we're, we're walking on, the air that we're breathing. It's more real. When we partake of this and we do it with the Lord, it is an experience with heaven, with Jesus himself. And, and I know we're running out of time. I want to tell you one quick story. Uh, Count Zinzendorf. How many know who Count Zinzendorf is? From Germany, Hernhut. The year is 1727. He's a young guy. He's he's royalty in Germany. He was taking in and saving the the persecuted church, hiding them, housing them, and they would have uh, worship meetings together. And once a year, um, they got it out of Jude 12 where it talks about love feasts of the saints. But once a year, they would have a love feast every year uh, where they would, have a meal together, and then they would take communion together. And in 1727, in August, they were doing the annual feast again, and they began to have their meal. They were celebrating together, they, and then they partake, partook in communion. And when they partook in communion, the Holy Spirit fell on that meeting. And when the Holy Spirit fell on that meeting, and they've done this every year, but what was unique about this is leading up to this meeting, they were having division among them. They were fighting. They were not one. They were not in unity. There was major issues happening within their camp. And they came to this table of the Lord completely aware of the d- depravity of their humanity and their need for God. And so they came differently this year. They came to the place where it's like we are all not okay. We're living in a situation that is not okay. And they came with that heart and that need of the Lord to the table of the Lord. And with that heart, they repented. They repented one to another. They repented before the Lord, and the Holy Spirit fell. And when the Holy Spirit fell, they ended up having hours of worship. After that meeting is when they decided to do a hundred nonstop night and day worship. And they launched a hundred years of nonstop worship and prayer out of a communion meeting. Out of a communion meeting. And 27 years, within the 100 years, so about 27 years in after that meeting, they start doing a missions movement. And in, so 100 years, year 27, so let's just say for 75 years they were doing night and day prayer and sending out missionaries. In that 75-year period, they sent out more missionaries than the entire, entire Protestant church had done for hundreds of years prior because of the communion meeting. Because they came to the table of the Lord with a right heart. They would sell themselves into slavery, the Moravians, so that they can go to places in Africa and Asia that had never heard the gospel. They completely lived life differently because they came to the table of the Lord with a right heart. And when they did that, Holy Spirit showed up. And he baptized them with power, with boldness. And they began to go into night and day prayer for a hundred years, the only reason it ended is because they all just went out. They didn't just decide to stop doing it, they just all, they were caught up in night and day prayer with the Lord for a hundred years and by the end of it, there's probably one person left in the room, the rest of them had gone out to preach the gospel and he's like, what am I doing here? I don't know if that's the actual story, but eventually it it dwindled out, not because they burned out, but because they went, they were sent, there was an apostolic sending. And it's uncannily similar what was happening in 1 Corinthians. I don't have time to read it, but in 1 Corinthians 11, he, he says, I want to talk to you about this thing about the table of the Lord, and I wish I had good news, Corinthians, but I don't. You guys have been coming to the table with a wrong heart. There is division among you. There is fighting among you. The women are dishonoring the men. The men are dishonoring the women. You are doing everything the way that we didn't tell you to do it, it's wrong. And then you come to the table of the Lord and you wonder why you're getting sick, you're getting chronically ill, people are dying uh, of early deaths and there's judgment coming upon you. And he's saying, because you've approached this with the wrong heart, with the wrong spirit. And he says in verse 26, whenever you eat the bread or drink the cup, you're retelling the story, proclaiming the Lord until he comes his death until he comes for this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and the blood of Jesus. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only eat the bread and drink the cup after they've evaluated for continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. This insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill and even dying. If you do not sit in judgment of others, you will avoid judgment upon yourself. But when you are judged, it is the Lord's training so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And this is huge because that means the what it, what he's saying also means the opposite, right? He's saying things like if we approach this with a wrong heart, let's take it the other way. If we approach this with a right heart, we're bringing honor to the Lord. If we approach this With a right heart, we're actually bringing honor to his body and his blood. When we approach this with a right heart, it's a gospel proclamation. We're we're declaring, yes, he died. He was in the ground. He was raised. And now he's in heaven. And he's coming again. When we approach this with a right heart, instead of weakness, it gives strength. Instead of illness, it brings healing or prosperity to our body. Instead of early death, the, you know, coming to the table of the Lord can actually add years to your life. Wow. Literally. Wow. Literally. Because the opposite took years away. <laughs> this, this is the Bible. It's not Rich. It's not Rich's words. It's the Bible's words. This was happening in a New Testament church. This was not pre-cross. This was post-cross. In <laughs> The early church, signs, wonders, revival, more than we could even imagine that we've ever tasted of, they were experiencing things physically that were happening because of spiritual practices that were not being done rightly. And the same could be seen on the opposite spectrum when you see places that have, or things in Scripture where they did this, the, what we would consider Christian routine or practice in the right way. It brought a physical, tangible result on the earthly realm. We, I am daring to believe that if we would approach the Lord's table with the right heart, that we could actually see another outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our day. What if this is just one of many small keys that would open a door to revival? What if we begin to approach this on a daily basis, which means I'm going to evaluate my life. I'm going I'm to look at my heart, my body, my mind, the things that I'm struggling with, and I'm going to repent of those things on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? What does that mean? It means I'm I'm going to walk around every day in righteousness. I'm going to walk around every day free, completely covered in his blood, meaning I'm not walking in sin. I'm walking right. What happens if I walk right? I might just start hearing things. I don't mean like in your head, but the Lord starts to speak to you. (laughs) Charismatic talk is so funny sometimes. But The Lord might begin to speak to me because the thing that was clouding my ears and my eyes has just been removed. The salve's been taking it off of my eyes. If I come with the right heart to the table of the Lord, we do it as a community. We do it as family. We do it as a church. What if a movement gets birthed because we've made ourselves ready? We're coming with you know, and there's other things to do, other of these foundational things, things like getting oil in your lamp daily. So we have to evaluate ourselves. We have to ask, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? Is there anything in me that's not right? Uh, did I dishonor someone? Did I talk about someone behind their back? Yes, probably. I've got to repent of that. Did I gossip? Gossip just means that you commented on something that had nothing to do with you, because it felt good to tell someone something they didn't know. We do it all the time. That's sin. I don't have time, but in, in um, I don't know. if I think it's in Hebrews. In Hebrews, it begins. This it talks about gossip and envy and murder and adultery and uh, drunkenness and fornication. Puts it all in the same thing as people who won't inherit the kingdom, which is crazy. My gossip is compared to sex outside of marriage. It's the same thing in the eyes of the kingdom. In New Testament Christianity, we are called to live at a higher standard. you know and we're going to if you can actually get ready if you're at home i forgot to tell you i mean you probably heard me say we're going to take communion but get bread and juice if you could take out the bread and listen uh, i want to share this last thing and then we're going to take this and we're going to pray i know i'm over time and i apologize um i've said this my whole life in, in speaking engagements i've said this over and over again but you know, it's, it's one thing to be burning for the Lord in a service, but it's another thing to be burning at home and to be burning in the workplace. And it's, it's one thing to be on fire for the Lord and passionate for Jesus in our early stages of Christianity. But I want to, you know, come back to me in 20, 30 years and tell me you're still burning. Amen. You know, we're, we're, we're not looking for momentary, you know, things in life. We want consistent you know, the kingdom of God is always increasing. So we have this, this thing in Scripture or these things in Scripture where it's a guarantee that if you're not in this place of passion for the Lord, but if you're in one of these other places, that he'll, he'll draw near. One of those things is he always draws near to those who have a broken and contrite heart. It says to those he does not despise. It says that anyone that comes to him hungry or thirsty, he will fill them. It says that anyone that comes out of desperation or great need, he is there. But another thing it says uh, in in Ephesians 2, it says that to those who were once far off, they have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That means if you're in a bad season or if you're in a good season, anywhere in between, if you just want to know, I want to do something that brings the Lord near, or at least he's he's here, but brings my awareness that he's near, it's at the table of the Lord. When we partake of his blood, he draws near. When we do it with understanding and revelation of what this is, it's his body that was broken, pierced, torn. Still to today, he has holes in his hands and his feet, scars on his head and on his back, flesh literally ripped out of his back. Blood sprayed and spilled until he bled out on a cross. And in heaven, that blood still speaks a better word. And when we take this with a right heart, it keeps this blood warm. It doesn't sit cold and stagnant on a shelf somewhere, and then we come to it, but we do it on a daily. It keeps it warm and pulsating in our lives. I need to ask myself these questions, and, you know, it's, you know, am I passionate about Jesus still? I know I'm passionate about rewards credit cards because when someone just mentions it in passing, they don't even know. I got, like, 30 things to tell them on what card they should get. And we all have passions, right, where someone just brings up a topic and maybe we're tired or whatever, but the moment they brought it up, it's like all of a sudden we're awake and we can talk for, for like, two hours, Maybe it's sports, maybe it's, it's clothing, maybe it's whatever it is that you're passionate about and it's brought up. It, life springs out of you. Does that happen when Jesus' name is brought up? Or when we hear it or we come to a service, are we waiting for something to be built up in us that we're probably picking up from someone next to us because it's not actually bubbling up from the inside of us? We need a renewed life that comes at the Lord's table. We need passion that comes from the body and the blood of Jesus. And so I want us to take 30 seconds, and you can do this every day. You can do this weekly. You know, I'm about to do this for 30 days personally. We're not streaming or anything like that. We, we had done it 21 nights of communion uh, a few months ago, but I'm going to be doing another 30 days of communion and just meditating on the blood and the body of the Lord. But before we take it today, You need to do business with the Lord. Repent of sins. And then after we take it today, I would encourage you, if you're repenting of something to the Lord, you should confess to your brother, your sister, husband, wife, things that you're struggling with. Because there's power in confession when you confess one to another. And if I can encourage you, you should probably confess your sins to someone, yes, who you trust, but also who you're a little bit nervous to tell. Because if you're not nervous to tell them, then... You probably will keep on doing it because they won't keep you accountable. And these are hard things to talk about because we don't want people to see our stuff. But the scripture says that we have to bring these things to the light. If we ever want to be free from them, they have to be in the light. And practically what that looks like, because the Lord is Yes, we can. We confess him, and he is faithful to forgive us. But if we want to continue on that journey of freedom, we can't do it alone. We need to do it in community. Amen. Literally, <laughs> communion, community. It's when we're becoming one. We're coming together. So take 30 seconds, and just, if I can have someone come up in the keys, or if we can put a s- sound or something. Uh, but just take 30 seconds, and... You need to repent of something, go ahead and do it. Lord, we thank you. Your scripture says that on the night you were betrayed, you took this bread and you broke it. And you said, this is my body broken for you. So, Lord, we remember your body that was broken. We remember your body that was torn for us. And when we take this, we do this, and we remember, and we proclaim your death until you come. Let's partake of this together. And he said, in a like manner, they took the cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that was shed for us. It's the blood. It's the cup of grace. It's a new covenant, a new promise that he made to live differently. And it covers. Let's take this cup today together and remember. I want to pray for us. They were at the last supper with him. And they did this, and they didn't probably fully understand, but then he would die. He would be beaten. We would have the road to Calvary, and they would witness these things. They would witness their best friend, their Savior, their Lord, go through the most horrendous of things. And Then he died, and then he rose again, and he revealed himself to them. And then he says to them, because they probably thought, this is it, the kingdom's here. And the Lord was going to establish his reign. And then he says, no, it's better that I go because a helper is coming. Wow. He was with them for about 40 days. And then he ascended. He literally went into the clouds or the clouds engulfed him and took him up. And then maybe 10, 12 days went on after that. And he said to them before he left, the last thing, he says, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And many theologians believe that the upper room they went to is the same room that they had the last supper with the Lord. And many of them believe, I I can feel the presence of the Lord as we're talking about this right now. Many of them believe, and I believe, that they they partook of communion. Because he said, anytime you gather together, do this now in remembrance of me. He had just left them. They're one day, two days, three days, four days now. Five days ago, he was with them in a resurrected body. And they're taking communion. Only this time, last supper, they're just eating bread and drinking wine. Like, what is this crazy Messiah saying? Only this time, they're like, I'm eating his body. I'm drinking his blood. And they're remembering these offensive statements he would say to the sadducées and the pharisees eat my bloody drink my blood they're remembering when he would say to them you're going to do this to remember me he's not there they remember they're thinking of their savior that was there and they would pray and they would gather and they would wait at the table of the lord and what happens The Holy Spirit falls 10, 12 days later. The Holy Spirit falls with fire. There's a sound released that draws 10,000 people probably. 3,000 people were added to the kingdom, so there was probably multitudes more. A sound, a supernatural experience that drew all men to the sound of heaven to hear in their own language. Why? Because the table is for every culture. Every ethnos. The outpouring is for every people group. And it's for us today. Where's your upper room? Where is he inviting you to tarry? Yes, it could be a physical place, but maybe it's a a heart posture right now. Why don't you stand with me? If you're at home, if you want to stand or you can stay seated, it's up to you. But we're going to pray. I'm daring to believe that as we are in the most darkest hour, that the church will shine her brightest. That the Lord will pour out His Spirit. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need an Acts 4 baptism of power and boldness. That we would love not our lives even unto death. Lord, we feel your presence in this room right now. Lord, as we come, we've come to the table. We've come to your table. We've come to your table. We put our eyes on you. Your word says that you set a table before us in the midst of our enemies. So, yes, our enemies at the table. We're at the table, but you're at the table. Who do we choose to look at? (laughs) We could look to see what the world is doing. And live in that way of anxiety and fear. We can navel gaze and look at ourselves and shame and condemnation. Or we can come to the table of the Lord. Bring everything out of hiding and look at you. We're not afraid anymore, God. We're not afraid anymore. Forgive us, God, for not coming to the table with a right heart. Forgive us, God, for not approaching the elements of your body and your blood with understanding and revelation. Yes, we are longing for the day where stadiums would be filled with worship, with adoration, with the gospel. That stadiums would become necessary because of the outpourings of salvation. But we understand that it's in the side room. It's the secret place, our upper room, our side room. Just as the disciples went into their side room, their upper room, before the apostolic release. God, we know that there is going to be a sudden release, ascending, where the door is going to open and the church is going to go out like never before. But until that day, we look at you. We make ourselves ready. We come to the table with a right heart. Would you release life? Even now there's someone here with, or here watching with kidney issues. The Lord is healing kidneys right now. Right now there's someone dealing with the, the left ankle. Whatever's what's going on, I don't know if you sprained it or you twisted it or it's broken. There's healing happening in the left ankle right now. There's someone here, you're dealing with numbness in the fingers and in the arms and the wrists. It's like this tingling thing where the blood flow has been restricted in your arms. The Lord's healing that right now. Some of you, the Lord wants to remind you of the things you did at first. Some of us, we need to ask ourselves, what was the first assignments that the Lord gave us 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and did we do them? What were the dreams he gave us before we got the job and before we got married and before we had the kids? What was the God assignments, and have we walked away from them? Have we let life dictate our steps, and have we forgotten the things we've journaled about and dreamt about? Remind us, even over this house, this is a governmental center. In the early days, you said that this house would be, a, a, would be financing the kingdom in New York City. That there would be such an influx of finances because of the businessmen and women that would be drawn to these four walls that there would be more money than they would know what to do with and they would finance revivals and businesses and structures and systems remind the leadership team of this house of the words that were given at first not that we forsake the things you've spoken in the last year or two or five years but the things 15 years ago that birthed this house Remind them of the assignments of night and day prayer to rumble and intercession to be a governmental house that contends with every other house of prayer that would raise itself up against the king and his kingdom. There's some of you that are watching at home right now, and you're literally, you haven't left your apartment because you're crippled in fear. And I'm not here to shame you or say anything to you, but I want you to know that he is not the one that gives a spirit of fear. And it's time to bring that to the Lord. And there's some of you, when someone walks too close to you on the street, the anxiety spikes. He's not given you a spirit of fear. That is The spirit of the hour of the age. We're not being foolish, but we cannot be fooled into partnering with fear or anxiety. Jesus, come. Increase your presence. Yeah, okay. So... Here's what I want to do. I know we, I don't know what happens after we speak. And if you need to leave, can I, if you need to leave, you can go, be blessed. Yeah. Online, there's going to be Zoom rooms that happen where we can be, you can receive ministry to pray about the message. But before you transition them, I just want to pray over you one last time. Just put your hands before the Lord. Right now, Lord, I just ask for grace to be imparted. Supernatural grace right now. Supernatural grace right now. Supernatural grace right now. We're, we're not moving in a rebellious spirit, but we need to move in the spirit. Would you release grace? Great grace. Great grace. To remember the basic things, Christianity one one, Grace. Great grace. Would you receive great grace right now? From the Holy Spirit. If you're watching and you have not accepted the Lord as your Savior. Or maybe you are just not sure. And you you need to pray with someone again. To accept Jesus that he would be Lord of your life. That he would be the one where you would just say, I want today. I want to make sure that today I'm living my life from this m- this moment forward for Jesus, and only Him, and you want to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, when you go into a, a, a Zoom room, tell them, email, what's the, what's, how can they email? Contact social media, info at Life Center, nyc.com. If you're in this room, you might need to tell someone in the ministry team. Maybe it's first time coming to the Lord. Or maybe you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been backslidden. You're watching. You're in the room. I'm telling you, if you've lost your passion for Jesus, you need to sign back up again. You need to sign back up again. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to heaven. Is Jesus. He's the only way. There is no other way. There is no other God. It's Jesus. And if you call on His name... He will meet you right where you are. Be blessed today. And so even in this room, I know we are going to pray for one another. And and if you want prayer for me, I will pray for you and figure out how to do that in this room. But I want to encourage you and leave you with this. And again, I apologize for going so long this morning. Evaluate your life. Not with shame, not with condemnation, but just look upon your life and just say, am I burning again? You want to know how to, the easiest way to set your life back on fire? If you have a match, there's two ways for that match to be lit. One way is friction. You strike the match and the fire will ignite again. And the Lord will do that in your life if he needs to because he desires your heart to be on fire. But there's an easier way to light the match. You take that match and you bring it next to an open flame, it'll catch up right away. Get around people that are burning. I've said it for years, you probably heard it in a youth group, but as adults we need to be reminded. Our parents told us, you are who your friends are. You want to know the nature of your life, unless they're your ministry, right? But the people who you minister to are not really your friends, because friends should be pouring one into another. Not that people are projects, not going there. But if you want to be burning, get around people that are burning. Even in the church you might need to make some new friends that are burning, that are on fire, that are passionate again, who are dreaming the dreams of God. We have to catch this again. We have to get back to the basics and the foundations of passion for Jesus and His Word, of worship, of prayer, of getting in the Scripture daily, taking communion, maybe daily, maybe weekly, and treating it not just as routine. We can't come casually anymore to the throne of God. We have to come boldly to the throne of grace. (laughs) Your sons and daughters, you get to bust through the door anytime you want. You do, just as you are. And so I'm gonna hand this over to Bill, but I'm also here to pray for anyone that needs prayer. But bless you guys. Be encouraged today. The light is shining. We're gonna be in New York City resting place. Uh, 3 p.m. this coming Saturday for an outreach meeting at Washington Square Park. And then 6 p.m. again for a night of worship in Washington Square Park. We'll have baptisms most likely again. And we're just going to be preaching the gospel, believing for souls and salvations. But we're going to be releasing a sound in the city. Listen, we're coming from New Jersey. Come on, New Yorkers. We're coming to your city. We're coming to Washington Square Park to worship bring your masks, social distance. If you want to stay 200 feet away, do it. Just come, come, get out of your normal routine. Get out of your normal COVID routine. I'm telling you, get out of your normal routine that has become a new normal, that's left you stagnant and questioning people. Where have you been? Who, just stay six feet away and love them if, if, if that's the posture of your heart. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. We have, we're going to come out of this rusty in relationship and not actually know how to be in community. So practice community, whether it's through Zoom or through a phone call or, you know, with people you feel. But practice community around the presence. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the Lord is here. The kingdom is increasing. I love you guys.